Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, JJ. Hi, Don. You always wait. <laughs> Try to I trick do. you. I know. I know my place. <laughs> JJ, I know the answer to this question is yes. Okay. Because I know you well enough. Have you ever had a side hustle? 100%. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you ever made a little, a little green on the side? A little green on little the cash. side, yes. Now, legally? Yes, always. Well, <laughs> did I pay taxes on it? Let me think. <laughs> Depends on how this employed is a I was at the podcast. moment. Yes, 100% legally all the time. <laughs> what was your side hustle? I'm curious. Oh, I've Your first ever side hustle. My first ever side hustle was probably just delivering papers. I yeah. worked. So the very first job that I had was cleaning apartment complexes, like the huh. their stairways and their like- Like the public parts the of The public it. parts of that. So that how was kind of you? like- I was 12. <laughs> yeah. And so that was my first kind of like consistent, that was my job. And then I wanted to make a little bit extra money. And so I started delivering papers. We had a weekly paper for our hometown. And so it was just one day a week. So it's just uh, like adding a little yeah, extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've kind of always just like, you know, even in college, I had like three or four jobs and things yeah. like that. One of my big side hustles that I did before, this was before StoryBrand. And while I was doing acting and stuff, I actually did did retreats with authors to help them write their books. So I, I would know. do. I don't think I knew you did yeah, that. I knew so, I know you had done one w- since Storybrand. Yeah, like right when I got hired at Storybrand there was a guy who, Got it. That's yep, right. Yeah. Remember that? That was really fun and it was just kind of a side thing. I was when I had sold the television show and we were promoting the TV show, I was just like I'm going to help authors with their books. And so I did that for probably about two years and and had a, a, a number of really great books that came out of it. So ah, that was really my, my sister and I, my first side hustle, we sold lemonade. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the traditional model was to have a table with a sign that says lemonade 50 cents. Yeah, At classic. the time, it would have been 15 classic. cents. We disrupted that whole industry. Go on. There was a gas shortage during Jimmy Carter's presidency. Yes. <laughs> You're too young to remember this. No. <laughs> but they, they would line up for gas because if, if the last number on your license plate was odd, you could go on a Tuesday. Yep. If it was even, you could go on a Wednesday. And there was, there was a gas shortage. It had, it had to do with you know all the stuff that was going on in Iran and all that kind of stuff. And so people would line up for gas. We took the lemonade to you. It's a good audible it's gas. Genius. It is genius. <laughs> that is genius. We took the lemonade. We would walk up the street and uh-huh. say lemonade. We had a system where my sister would pour it. I would go deliver it. Uh-huh. You know those <laughs> kinds of things. And then we are currently suing Postmates and DoorDash <laughs> for stealing <laughs> our idea. idea. <laughs> we're, currently, we're not getting very far. Lemonade to you <laughs> while you wait for gas. And uh, <laughs> and one day a house burned down in our neighborhood. Uh-oh. And the firemen were out there putting out the fire. And my sister and I thought, wait a second. <laughs> People working very hard, hot yes. temperatures, they're going to be thirsty. Yeah. We could charge 30% more. Uh-huh. And we did. <laughs> <laughs> you were price gouging during I an emergency. Swear you. You I were... swear to you. Oh. Now, here's my question. Uh-huh. Where was our mother? <laughs> <laughs> it was the 70s. Nobody... But, no, my mother knew we were doing that. 
story brand business made simple, none of it would exist. <laughs> <laughs> because we would have thought we're just supposed to give things away. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. You were price gouging during an emergency. We were that price gouging. And uh, yeah, to, to micro, I'm nine. You yes. know, all I'm yeah. seeing is business opportunity. We have yep. since tempered that with yep. compassion, <laughs> empathy, charity, all of the yep. other stuff. Anyway, Chris Gillibo is our guest on the podcast today. And Chris mm-hmm. wrote a book called Side Hustle, and he also wrote a book called The $100 Startup. And his mm-hmm. new book is called The Money Tree. And it's a parable. Yeah. It's about a guy named Jake who's got a bunch of college debt. He's 28 years old. He likes his job, but he needs more money. And that's how it starts. Yeah. And it ends with Jake making a lot more money. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so if you're looking for a story that's somehow encouraging, listen, we, you know, we're in an age now where, you know, coming out of quarantine, we're all sort of economically recovering to some degree. And what if you completely reinvented the way you were doing work in life? Yeah. And so there are some paradigm shifts that Chris gets into that you have to kind of overcome from scarcity to abundance mindset, those kinds of things, knowing that there's a third, fourth, fifth, and 10,000th way to do life and business, yeah. understanding those things. Your brain right now is a sponge. Yeah. And eight weeks ago, it was not. Yeah. <laughs> it was a rock and nothing could get in because you were living in luxury. Yeah. And now it's a sponge. Don't waste it, right? Yeah. And so uh, I talked to Chris about his new book, and we kind of go through this path a little bit of of what Jake experiences and and what you and I can experience. And I, and I found it a fascinating conversation. He's a wonderful human being. He actually started World Domination Summit yeah. up in Portland, Oregon, which I had the luxury of speaking at. Might be my favorite speaking experience of all time. And the best name of any conference. <laughs> and the best yeah. name of any conference. It sells out in like 30 seconds. Yeah. They didn't do it this year. Uh, it was their final year. So I'm, I, I'm hoping they move it to the fall or they do it next year because I'd actually like to go up and attend. But Chris is a wonderful human being. His new book is called The Money Tree, and it's all about rethinking the way that you are making money and not sort of falling into traditional ruts. And that's what they are. They're ruts and figuring out something more creative. And some of the paradigm shifts that Jake experiences in the book, I've experienced in my life and am richly blessed because of it. Right? It's not because well, I, you know, I worked harder, I did it. No, you just saw the world a little bit differently. Yeah. You saw opportunities that other people weren't seeing. And that's what the money tree is all about. Wouldn't we all love to have a money tree in the backyard? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I would. Uh, anyway, here's my conversation with Chris Gillibo. Chris, thanks for coming on. John, thank you so much for having me. Chris, we live in a world today that your book could not be more perfect for. People are in, quote unquote, economic recovery, even if they're doing great. There's a feeling of rebuilding, of reorganizing, of resystematizing our economic reality on a personal level, certainly on a on a on a government level in terms of America and what we're going to have to do with this massive, ridiculous debt that we've gotten ourselves into. Uh, but you know, your book really talks about how your your economic life, the way you see yourself economically, is not fixed. It is something that is fluid and can change. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's the first paradigm shift, if we read the money tree, that we have to understand. Am I fair saying that? Yeah, I think that's fair to say that. I think, uh, you know, this, this is a time in which so much is out of our control. And so much is like, you know, we wish it were not this way. I wish we had a magic wand. I wish we could press a button and, you know, have some things reset. Uh, but since we can't do that, we have to ask ourselves what is within our control. And so I think a lot of people are, you know, kind of realizing that some of the things that they believed in before or maybe relied upon 
uh, are just not accurate, or maybe they were accurate before, but they're not now. And so it presents some opportunity. I mean, people are worried, of course, they're anxious, you know, for good reason. Um, but it also provides this chance to kind of reset and say, okay, what is it that we want to create for ourselves? Because, we, you know, now we're realizing we can't depend on a corporation. We can't depend on the government or an organization. Like we have to find a way to do something for ourselves. Uh, so I think when people start to reframe that way, uh, you know, hopefully they get some hopefulness, but then also it's not just hope. They, they have some practical you know, practical action, practical takeaway that they can use to build security for themselves. Well, you're talking about the difference in some ways between an internal and external locus of control. Mm-hmm. Most of my audience will understand that, but if you don't, it's just this idea of, you know, is my fate in the hands of something outside of me or is my fate in the hands of myself? And of course, the reality is it's a mixture of both. Right. But when you own more and more of your fate being internal that you get to control it, when you own that perspective more and more, it directly affects the quality of your life, including uh, psychologists have shown levels of depression, anxiety, uh, economic yep. uh, success, relational success, all that kind of stuff. There are two memories that I have in the last six or seven years, and, and they were they were somewhat groundbreaking, although I think I'd subscribed to some of the ideas before I just realized I subscribed to them. One was early on in the company, we've never had trouble paying bills, but there were some bills coming, and I was kind of going, okay, where's that going to come mm-hmm. from? And I'm standing yeah. in my backyard... And I'm looking out in the backyard, and I just it just came. I mean, just I just realized it, Chris, that you can just go get money. Uh I mean, it was really an amazing thing of like, (laughs) no, if you need money, you just go. You go get money. You go offer somebody value in exchange for dollars. They pay you, and they end up with more because they did. It was a transition for me from a scarcity to an abundance mindset. Yeah. And you know, we don't make good decisions when we're operating from that scarcity mindset. No, we don't. I think that's something people are seeing right now. It's like if you are if you are in a state of of panic or desperation, you know, maybe some of the listeners are, maybe they know somebody who is, you know, if, if some of the listeners are well off, that's great. But when you're in that state, you just don't make good decisions. And you know, I, I think um you know, when you're talking about that locus of control, something that's been helpful for me just in my own therapy and stuff over the past couple of years is uh, exposure therapy and accepting reality for the way it is and just um, you know, understanding, again, there's not so much that I can control. And, and the ironic thing is once you realize like how little is within your control, then just like you said, you, you all of a sudden you're, you're much more effective uh, at the impact you can make you know, at the 1% or 2% or whatever the small number is. Yeah, on what is in your control, yeah. Okay, well, you can't just bring up exposure therapy without explaining. I've never heard of that, and I'm fascinated. What does that mean? So I think classically it refers to, like, if you have a fear of spiders or something. Gotcha, yeah, you have to, like, go touch a spider. Right, or whatever it is, or fear of heights or something like that. Um, So there's probably some much more clinical definition. You know, I'm not a therapist here, but just the the way that it kind of connected with me is, um, you know, whatever it is that I am afraid of, which might be something much more, like, you know, deeper psychological or something. If I'm troubled about a relationship, if I'm troubled about, you know, mortality, or whatever it is, instead of just like pushing it off, just just start sitting with it yeah, and start, yeah. you know, just like, okay, this this thing is there. Like I used to do this thing where if I was ha- if I had some like conflict with somebody and it was like over email or something, I wouldn't read their response. Just, I would just like put it off for days and days and days. Or if I needed to like solve some problem again in a relationship or something, I just, I wouldn't deal with it. And so re- reality and exposure therapy is just about like, let me just bring this into my life right now. Um, I have this thing called a to dread list. 
you know, like a to-do list, but my to-dread list is like all the things I'm dreading right now. If I actually just like do those things, I'm going to feel better in the end. So I was thinking about it in terms of this context. <laughs> That's you your know, next book. That's your like, next book, Chris. To-dread list, yeah. <laughs> stop, stop doing, or yeah, don't dread reading this book or something. That's like the tagline. There line. you go. Yeah. Right. Actually, you know, it was interesting. This is a, we've got off on a rabbit trail. I promised the listeners we're going to come right back. I heard Kobe Bryant, an interview with Kobe Bryant recently. Obviously, he, he's deceased, but it was an interview they played after he had passed. And he talked about what it takes to be a champion. And he said, um, he said a lot of young players will deny that they are afraid. They will deny that, that the crowd is getting to them. They will deny that there's a lot on the line here. Game seven, two minutes to go. They're down by three. He said his trick that he learned is, you don't deny it. You actually try to accept as much of the fear as possible, mm-hmm. accept it as a reality, and then don't try to change it. Just go out and perform in the midst of it. And he said, that's how you keep your cool. And I thought, that's really fascinating. And here we are, you know, when we're talking about our economic reality and climbing out of a, a recovering from recession, when I said, you can just go get money, half of the listeners said, oh, you can go get money, but I right. can't because, and then they started listing, I have a job, blah, blah, blah. But you have to understand, that's the realization that I had. I used to think that way, mm-hmm. and the realization that I had is that that's not actually 100% true. It may be 80% true, but right. it's not 100% true. There is There are some things that I can do, and that's really what your book is about. Now, you actually write this book in the form of a parable. You have a character, and the character's name is Jake, and Jake is in some trouble at the beginning. Can you just tell us a little bit? You know, we're going to grab the book. Again, the book's called The Money Tree. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in Jake's life and why you chose to give him the trouble that you gave him? Yeah, of course. You know, I actually thought a lot about StoryBrand as I was writing this. I thought a lot about your work, and it's been awesome. very helpful to me. So this guy, Jake, um, you know, he's a young millennial. He's got a, a good job, not an amazing job, but a good job, and he's a hard worker. Um, but he realizes that's not enough, basically. And he has a lot of student loan debt, uh, like so many people do these days. Um, or other people have all kinds of debt or whatever the financial pressure is uh, in this time of uncertainty, being laid off, being furloughed, et cetera. And this debt ends up affecting you know, all parts of his life, which is kind of how it works, right? If you have debt or if you, ha- if you have extreme financial pressure, it's not just compartmentalized. It's going to affect your relationship. It's going to affect your day job. It's going to affect your health, your wellness, all that kind of stuff. So he's just trying to figure out, okay, what, what can I do? You know, and how can I get out of this? And, you know, he goes through some of the traditional solutions like I can I can work harder or I can join the gig economy. I can start driving for Uber. And of course, he realizes that's really not going to help. You know, that's going to be a very small amount of money. I'm not actually going to be building any kind of asset, uh, et cetera. So he ends up going to this group called the Third Way, which is just a group of people who are all in similar situations trying to either quit their day job or build enough income so that they have more choices for themselves. Uh, or just you know just build security for their long-term future in the case that we're in a situation of a black swan event, you know, a pandemic, something yeah. totally unpredictable, whatever it is. So uh, and then from there he just starts exploring different paths. Uh, the the mentor in the group gives him a challenge uh, to go and make a thousand dollars, you know, in the next week, uh, which reminds me of what you were saying about just go and get money. And at first he finds that very frustrating, you know, just like maybe some of the listeners do. He's thinking, well, if I knew how to get a thousand dollars, you know, in a week or a few days, you know, I wouldn't be in this situation. To begin with, mm. um, but you know, then he kind of like works it out, starts experimenting with some stuff, uh, figures things out, and he kind of grows from there. He goes from like doing a pretty simple, you know, basic reselling business uh, into starting his own service, and you know, lots of trials and missteps and such. But he's just trying to to find his way, and I, I'm hoping, you know, my hope is that a lot of you know readers, listeners will connect with it, connect with the story, relate to him, and maybe see themselves in it a little bit. I got an email from someone the other day. 
that said it made me really happy because uh, the Jake in the book is 28 years old, and uh, this was a woman writing in. She said, "I'm 41. I'm a 41 year old woman, but I really related to what Jake was going through. It sounds very similar, you know, to my situation. So my hope is that people will read this book. It's a story. They can find it entertaining and enjoyable, but they'll also go away feeling hopeful and inspired, and, and have some idea of you know what to do next, you know, for their financial future. You know, it's interesting. It's it's not a how to book like your traditional books, though mm-hmm. it has a lot of practical you know application that you can immediately right. do yourself. Why'd you go that route? Why'd you decide to do that? Well, you know, but Don, like a lot of people don't read business books. Yeah. You know, like you and I write business books, but obviously you've written a number of other books. Uh, a lot of people who need a message of, you know, creating more financial security for themselves aren't going to read a how-to book or a business book, uh, you know, for whatever reason. But everybody likes stories. And I also think that stories are just more memorable. They, you know, they sit with us for longer. You know, when I was a kid, I think about, you know, all the different books I read that changed my life or influenced me. And, and most of them were, were fiction. You know, and so I just started thinking about this this guy, different characters, and I'd never been through that process before. I'd never written a novel, so had to learn a lot about it. Sat with it for for months, just outlining before I actually began to write the scenes. And then I think in the end, I wrote probably seven drafts of this book, which I've never done before. I usually write like three three drafts, uh, wow. and then I'm like, it's good, you know. But I really wanted to try to get this right um, because I I was hoping, as I said, that it could be timely, it could be you know helpful for people who are trying to make changes but aren't really sure what to do next. Did you have fun writing it? Was it a good experience? I did. Yeah. At first, it was scary. It was like intimidating because it's different, you know. But yeah, no kidding. then once I actually kind of figured out a little bit of what I was doing and, and had a vision for it, um, it actually really was a lot of fun. I was like, this is this feels similar to what I've done before, but different at the same time. Like the practice of the writing is is similar, but the construction of the the plot and all that is is very different. Chris, as I've gotten to know you over the years, you have, uh, and I'm not sure how you take this, but you have a minister's heart. I grew up in a, ch- in a church where. Uh, there were a lot of some of the, the most foundational people in my life were ministers. They were, you know, a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. There were also some people who were ministers who were who were downright diabolical. I mean, they're just right. horrible, horrible human beings. But you know, a lot of them weren't. They were actually wonderful. And I, and I'm comparing you to those, not the others. Okay, uh, good. <laughs> but I've also noticed, like um, with World Domination Summit and with some of the other stuff you do, the aim of your quote-unquote ministry, the aim of your trying to help people, has a lot to do with career opportunities and also economic opportunities. And I'm wondering how you put those two together. Like, why is it that you believe that really helping somebody figure out their financial stability, their earning power, their life focus in terms of vocation, why is that so closely associated with their health and you wanting to help them, almost like a doctor. A doctor would be another analogy that I would say. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of you to say. I think there's a couple of reasons. I think uh, one is just from my own life, my own experience. Like I've always worked for myself since I was 19. You know, and, and like when I was 19, like entrepreneurship for me was not like a way to change the world or save the world. It was just like, how can I pay the bills? You know, that was my initial motivation. Um, but I was really excited at learning how to like buy and sell stuff and then, you know, do some business consulting, build websites, all those things that eventually turned into a, a totally different career. And so I guess I've always connected economic security with freedom for me. It's not so much about how can I make more money, it's how can I make the money I need to do what's important to me. And you know that allowed me to travel the world, you know, be an aid worker for several years, all that kind of stuff. So I know that that's, you know, a valid, not just valid, but a necessary pathway for so many people. And then uh, you mentioned WDS. So like with this big event that we do in Portland every summer, except not this summer, but usually every summer, what I always tell speakers, and, and you were one of the best speakers we ever had, by the way, which thank you for doing that. I always tell speakers when they're asking, like, what's the whole point here? What am I trying to leave people with? I always say, give people 
inspiration with substance. So it's these two things together, right? It's like, I want you to like inspire. I want you to make an emotional connection with the audience, but I also want you to leave them with something practical. So it's not just like motivational, but they don't know what to do. And so I've tried to kind of do that same thing myself as like, I do want people to feel inspired and motivated, but I, I want them to also like, okay, here's my next step. Here's, uh, you know, I know I need to create economic security for myself, but how do I do it? Oh, okay, now I have a few different steps here. I can see this model. I can see how it might apply to my life. Um, I think that's much more effective than just kind of, you know, cheering people. I want to cheer people on, but also kind of give them some support structure. I'll be right back with the rest of my conversation with Chris Gillibo in just a moment. For now, though, we're moving to week two of our interview with a StoryBrand certified marketing guide. What is a StoryBrand certified marketing guide? Well, there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of marketing freelancers out there who can build your website, but a lot of them don't get anybody a return on their investment. They really they, they build you a beautiful site, but people don't go to that site and then give you money. We actually certify, we have certified about 500 guides who are already very good marketers. They come, they're with us for four days in Nashville, Tennessee, and I train them to build a sales funnel our way. And our way guarantees that it gets the job done, that it actually makes money. And that's the point. If, if you're hiring a marketing person, it's a $10,000, $15,000, $25,000 investment so that you can get $100,000, $150,000, $250,000 in return. And that's what we train our marketing guides to do. Not just to make you a pretty website, not just to express your identity, not just to help you choose your logo or the colors that will represent your brand. We train them to actually use the words and the layouts that will cause people to want to buy your product. And we thought we would feature some of them. So we're featuring three. Last week we featured one. This week we're featuring another. Just interviews about practical tips that will make you more money as a business leader or business owner. So here is the second in our series of interviews with StoryBrand Certified Guides. David Lillard, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, how's life as a guide? Been okay? It's been fantastic. It's been uh, a fantastic three years. That's awesome. Well, we love having you in the program. You've helped a lot of companies make a lot of money, and I wanted you to bring to the table a few things that you know you've done, you've repeated over and over for your clients, and it's just helped them increase their revenue immediately. And you and I were talking a second ago about a contractor who hadn't updated their website in ten years. And you went in and redid their whole website, and now they're seeing what's happening to their leads now. Over the past three months, they've seen as many leads come through their website as they had probably in the previous three years, quite frankly. <laughs> Doesn't that feel good? It feels fantastic. I mean, it feels great for them, I know, and, and great that we were able to help them. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm wondering what you did to that website. I mean, there's got to be some practical tips. You don't have to give away the bank here, but some practical tips, some things that you do over and over for your clients' websites, you know, and you just do this and they see more money coming through. Uh, what are some of those things? Absolutely. So really, their previous website didn't speak at all to their customers' problems. Hmm. Just said, hey, we're a, we're a contractor for uh, residential homes. And what we did was made sure that their their tagline, their one-liner, really, mm -hmm. uh, spoke to the, the problems that most people have when they're trying to hire a residential contractor. Uh, that and a lot of it was just adding that clear call to action, you know, schedule a free consultation. Uh, and that has generated a lot more traffic for them uh, through their website. 
That's awesome. So you, you know, stop talking about how your grandfather started the company. Start talking about how your your customers are tired of uh, contractors not showing up on time or getting the job done or are over budget or whatever. Those pain points that your customers can feel. That's what you have to talk about. And it's true in story too. If you don't talk about the problem, you lose the audience. The, the hero always has to have a problem. Your customer has problems, and you got to talk about it over and over. You also talked when we were before we started recording about helping your some of your clients figure out webinars. Let me ask you this: Who should be doing webinars? What sort of business should be doing webinars? I mean, I, I'm of the opinion that everyone should be. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's so easy now. But you know, really, if you're positioning yourself with, as the guide and you have knowledge that could help someone live a better life, uh, you know, win the day, as you say so often, uh, if you have that kind of information and you can share that, you should. But especially right now, there's a ton of companies that are used to going in and doing lunch and learns, right? right. I mean, they're used to that's the only way they could get in the door. And now you have all these people who are sitting at home, working from home. And they're desperate for content. They're looking for ways to improve their skills and uh, become better at what they do. And webinars are a great way to get in front of them and, and share that knowledge. That's interesting. I just talked to a client the other day who does retirement financial services. And they do dinners. They do big steak dinners. And they could probably make just as much money. In fact, more because they're not buying steak. Doing, doing these webinars, and you're helping clients do that. We also talked off the air about the importance of a, of a buy now button, a clear call to action. How important is that? It's incredibly critical. You know, I think we use contact us all the time on these websites, and at this point, it's white noise, right? Contact us means nothing. And people look straight past it. Uh, and so telling people exactly what they need to do, buy now, call now, uh, you know, schedule a meeting, schedule a call, whatever that is, that is what is going to drive someone to take that next step. And if, if we don't tell them what the next step is, they're likely not to take it. Uh, and that's what that call to action button does. Yeah, well, that's fantastic, David. Thanks for the tips. And I'll, I'll summarize them. Uh, one, talk about your customers' problems. Uh, two, get a buy now button or some sort of clear call to action. Don't say contact us. If you say contact us, you probably need to do your entire website over again because you got the wrong <laughs> philosophy. And if it's possible to do webinars, it's easier than ever to do webinars now. You got to figure out the technology. It's going to take you a little bit of time. You can also hire somebody to help you do that. Uh, but all three of those will make you a lot more money climbing out of this recession. David Lillard, thanks for joining us today. If you want to know more about David, you can find his page at the guide directory, marketingmadesimple.com. That's marketingmadesimple.com. You can find David there. And we've got a ton of guides who can help you rehash your entire marketing effort so that you make more money. You used to not have to do marketing. Remember when money was flowing everywhere? Now you have to. If you don't put a lure in the water, you can't catch fish, it turns out. They're not jumping on the bank anymore. So go to Marketing Made Simple, redo your marketing, and survive. David, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Don. If you would like to hire a StoryBrand certified guide, just go to marketingmadesimple.com. That's marketingmadesimple.com. And look at our entire directory of StoryBrand certified guides. Start contacting a few of them. See if you can build a relationship. See if the relationship sounds right. And then hire a guide to build a sales funnel for you. It is your key to success. A sales funnel equals survival. It is how you're going to climb out of this recession. Hire a StoryBrand certified guide at marketingmadesimple.com.
Well, practically in this book, as you tell Jake's story, there are some decisions that he makes. And I would like to just explore some of those. One of them is, you know, he, he starts selling textbooks, right? Mm-hmm. And was that just a creative, uh, just sort of a, a, an idea that came in your head? You just needed a job or was it specific for a reason? Yeah, I think it, well, I, I mean, I started selling textbooks myself, you know, like 20 years ago. So maybe that's probably yeah. where it came from. I was selling coffee and some other stuff, not not so much textbooks. But it was more like, you know, so let's start with the character. So he's got this challenge. He needs to make $1,000. And, you know, he realizes he's got these college textbooks in his closet that he kept because he was always going to refer to them, you know, and of course he never actually opened them. So then he's like, well, I can start by doing that. Um, and then in doing that, you know, it's not like he's going to, you know, get rich doing that or he's going to do that for the rest of his life, but it opens up a door for him and he, he starts selling his textbooks and then he realizes he like starts paying attention to the other auctions that are closing and he sees like the sales price you know, on eBay or whatever. And he realizes he can buy other textbooks from one source and then resell them for this like retail arbitrage profit. And then that opens up a door to like, well, maybe I could do this with camera gear because he used to be into photography. So I'm just trying to show this like thought process. And, right, right. And he's like, if I learn to think this way, I can do this in, in lots of other ways and it might lead to something different. So I think a lot of people don't take that step of, whatever the first thing, they think it's dumb or they think it's simple or it's like, well, you know, if I just sell some stuff from my closet, how's that really going to help me get ahead? But I think it can actually lead to something more, like I said. Not only physical things sitting in your closet, but your expertise. A lot of people don't realize they're an expert at something that other people could use that expertise. And so they could easily start a little side consulting gig. You you also, though, differentiate between him selling his textbooks and sort of evolving that uh, business into, you, you differentiate between that and the gig economy driving for Uber. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with the gig economy, you have no control. Yeah. So explain to me, like, why, you know, a lot of people are going, you know, I am going to go make extra money. I'm going to go drive for Lyft or I'm going to, I'm going to do DoorDash or something like that. Why is that not a good idea? You know, I don't want to say it's never a good idea for anybody. Like we all depend on these services. Um, you know, before I started working for myself at age 19, you know, I was, uh, I delivered pizza for a while. Yeah. So that's a, that's like a part-time job. That's like the thing that you do, you know, for a time in your life, maybe when you're going to school or something. So these gig economy jobs are just like that. Now, if you're actually in a situation where you're a bit older, if you've got a family, you've got responsibilities, you've got real bills to pay, then that's not going to help. I mean, that's just a bit above minimum wage, you know, maybe a little bit more. Um, but there's no asset building involved in it. Like what you just said about, Okay, it's not just reselling textbooks. It's about what are you an expert in because everyone is an expert at something. I mean, that is kind of the next level. That's what I think I want people to get to because once they understand, okay, it's it's not so much that I need to go out and acquire a bunch of new skills. You know, I don't need to go get my MBA. Maybe I need to learn how to communicate more effectively, you know, like what you teach people in your business. But like I already have this expertise. So it's a matter of how can I transform it or adapt it in some way. Ultimately, that's going to be much more valuable. It's going to be much more fulfilling. They're going to have far more control over it. And I think it's also just going to be more profitable. You know, in the end, they're going to have the opportunity to set up a business in which they can, you know, earn money while they sleep. They wake up and they get a PayPal notification. And, you know, I, I when I go on tour, I always ask people like, who here has, has had some kind of side hustle? You've made $100 in your life, whatever it is. And, you know, usually about half the audience raises their hand. And I say, you know, who can remember the first time you got paid by a stranger? Hmm. And pretty much everybody who raised their hand the first time keeps their hand up wow. because it's so, so empowering. You know, yeah, it's so empowering yeah. to make even a small amount of money that it then, like, it then kicks you into higher gear. That gets my adrenaline up just hearing that story. It's so fun. That's, that's why I want to help people get to that point quickly, you know, as opposed to like, what's, you know, spend nine months writing a business plan 
that's not going to be followed in the end anyway, you know, trying to beg banks right, or right. some other, you know, party for capital investment. Like I'm all about helping people like where they are with the money they have. Like don't spend any money to go into to debt or start, you know, people often ask like, I've got X dollars. What is the best, you know, is this enough to start a, do I have $5,000? Is that enough? I'm like, it might be too much actually. Like <laughs> save your $5,000 and let's set up a simple website. Maybe we'll, we'll spend like a hundred dollars and make a simple website with one page and that PayPal button or the Venmo button or whatever it is, you know, and then you're going to go to your friends on Facebook and say, Hey, I made this thing. Can you help me? Can you help me connect with my ideal customer? Like this is the model that I'm trying to push people toward uh, because, you know, most people don't have access to capital and most people don't even want to be a capital E entrepreneur, but everybody needs this message. And you don't want it. I'm telling you, you know, you don't want venture capital. You don't want private equity. You don't Absolutely. want any of this stuff. Absolutely. Agree. Maybe some of you do and, and that's your thing, but yeah, I strongly recommend not doing it. You know, it's funny. You would have loved yesterday. You've, you've sat in my living room before with a group guys yeah. we had a meeting yesterday we're in quarantine still as the listeners are listening to this so four of us got together and sat eight feet apart you know and uh we're outlining a new course and it will become a book called zero to ten million mm. and our first two passes chris you would have rolled your eyes uh <laughs> we made these passes at the curriculum months ago but it was you know you know first thing you want to do is do is figure out your sales and then you know your execution and you're and then we kind of looked at what we built yesterday morning and said, wait a second, we, we took a company from zero to 13 million, right? and we didn't do any of this. Right. <laughs> we're, we're re, we're, this is revisionist history. That's funny. And so we, we broke it down into three, three categories, zero to one, one to five, and five to 10. And then the different phases of building the business are called igniting the chaos, uh, managing the chaos and then harnessing the chaos, but at no point is it not chaos. Right. And so, what other people will come in is they'll say, "No, it's supposed to be neat and clean." It is never going to be neat and clean. Yeah. And uh, I just think you would have loved to to be in the room. That really zero to one is about hustle and trying to put out fires and trying to get the fire started that you want to get started and and constantly blowing on it and trying to get the sparks going and. That's just how it is. You know, the other thing is we're in a time of chaos. We are. So yeah. here's the time to embrace the chaos because everything else is chaotic too. Everything else is chaotic and disordered. And like I said, the world's turned upside down. The stuff you believed before may not be true now or it's modified in some way. So uh, the interesting thing is we're all in it together, right? Everybody's experiencing this chaos at the same time. So you might as well get comfortable with external chaos and you, and you might as well realize like it's going to be messy, just like you said, but there is something I can do. I think that's probably the ultimate message. Like it's messy, but there is something you can do. It's punctuated evolution. It, it's two steps back, mm, three steps forward, good. one step back, four steps forward. I think one of the reasons that people are drawn to the Uber sort of gig economy job, as well as the nine to five job, is it has the illusion of control and stability. And, and really, the difference between an owner and the person in the nine-to-five job is the owner is behind the curtains seeing how this thing is really pretty chaotic. I mean, you know, you do have to organize your, your organization as much as you can, but you're organizing something that is fluid and changing and responding with a thousand dynamics. You know, it's a full-time job just to keep it organized. But on the other side of the curtain, there's this nine-to-five cubicle that mm -hmm. seems like it's, it's got job security in it. But there's somebody behind the curtains managing the chaos in order to create that job security. And if you get comfortable with that chaos, you can then get the bigger payday as the person behind the curtain. But if you're not comfortable with the chaos, you're never going to fit back there. It's, it's going to drive you crazy. Well, the, what you just said, the illusion, I mean, that's the key word there, the illusion of security. It is because an illusion. I don't even think it's a trade-off between, okay, if I'm an owner, then I have more profit potential. But if I'm not, then I have the job security, right? Because 
now I think what so many people are realizing is like, I thought I had job security, but now my entire industry has changed. You know, if I was in the travel industry, if I was in, it was lots of other industries, you know, uh, that have been tremendously impacted by this. You realize actually the security I thought I had, uh, maybe it's a lot less, or maybe it's even non-existent. So that's scary, but it also presents an opportunity, right? It's scary, but it's like, okay, to go back to where we were when we started, you know, this is the reality of the world. What is my reality going to be? You know, what am I going to do now that I have this knowledge? Okay, I've got the, the knowledge. I've, I'm realizing that, that things are scary, but there is something I can do. So what is my next step to take more control so that, that the next time something like this happens, maybe not quite like this, but the next time something unpredictable happens, I'm going to be in a much better place. You've got a couple other books. You've got uh, $100 Startup and you've got a book uh, about a side hustle. What's the name of the book, Side Hustle? It's just called Side Hustle? Yeah, it's Side Hustle from Idea to Income in 27 Days. Got it. Can you walk us through, because I think we've, we've whet everybody's appetite. They're kind of saying, all right, you know, I'm, I'm working nine to five. You guys, are, you guys are kicking me in the gut here. <laughs> and we don't mean to because nine to five, you know, nine to five job is a great job, yep. especially if you love it. But they're also saying, I wouldn't mind a little side hustle. Can you mix all your books together and give us some baby steps on what we should do next? <laughs> a little remix all together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but greatest hits from Chris Gillibo. So, I mean, as you said, it's not about necessarily quitting your job. I mean, some people love their job and that's great. But the whole point is is security and well-being and options. You know, what if your great job isn't a great job tomorrow? I mean, that's the whole point. And that's yeah, what people are yeah. seeing, seeing right now. So the remix is, first of all, you know, you don't have to live your life the way other people expect. You know, throughout your life, throughout your career, your career, your vocation, your your relationship, everything, every part of your life, education, et cetera, there's all kinds of expectations that people are going to put on you because that's what they're used to. That's what they're accustomed to. It's not that they are all malicious actors. It's not that they're all trying to like bring you down. They're not all haters, but you know, they know one, one way of life um, that works for them. So you don't have to accept that. There is an alternative. You know, that's my like four word tombstone thing is like, you know, there is another way. Like whatever it is that you're considering, maybe that's the best way for you and that's fine if so. But if not, there is another way. So that's what I start with like, you know, philosophically wise. And then just get out of the binary view of life and understand. Right, exactly. There are so, other options. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. That's a powerful thing. And people don't always realize that there are other, oh, there's another option. That if you can show people like, I know you do this in your work too, just show people that there are options. That alone is, is impactful for so many people. And the lack of understanding that that is the case is so detrimental you've known me long enough that I get so frustrated with the government and the binary mm-hmm. perspectives, especially Republicans and Democrats who create this false binary. Yep, I agree. Uh, and there is an absolute lack of creative energy. I mean, zero, when there are very, very, very easy solutions to our problems and they literally can't see them. They can't see them or they're they're incentivized to not see them. You well, know? that's a big part of it. Yeah, they're all obeying the incentives. But in a microcosm, you know, we can complain about the government, but it's in us too, right? Like we we get into the same sort of idea. So this idea of the third way, which is really one of 50 million ways, but a, a third option is the foundation. And then where do we go from there? Yeah, exactly. So so third way, you know, first way is like classical way of starting a business, the retail shop, et cetera. Second way, that startup way. Third way, using the skills I have, you know, so make a skill inventory, make a list of all your skills. Like, mm-hmm. what are you good at? Not, yeah. I'm not just talking about what your degree was in, if you went to college or what you do, you know, for your, for your work. I'm talking about like that random topic that you know about that that um, you know, you've always been a geek about, but you think nobody else cares about, but then your friends are always asking you about it. I mean, that's often the, the pathway to, to a lot of the side hustles that I look at, especially in the knowledge economy, uh, especially in like, what is that thing that I can teach or productize in some way, whether it's through like a consulting session that I charge $100 an hour for, or a product of some kind that I'm creating. Um, and then I think like, you know, the next part is you know, to use your three-part model. The next part is go from idea to offer, go from idea to a specific offer because everybody's got yeah, ideas, yeah. you know, 
but what is how do you package that idea what what do i pay for you know if i if i want to hire you to teach me this knowledge or to show me something or to do something for me how do i do that like where is the place where i go and click the button that says you know charge my credit card basically and then what do i get in exchange for that i, I click that button what do i get creating that workflow so this is just like nuts and bolts stuff it's very simple it's not it's not complicated at all at the same time though it, it's the difference between making it and, and not making it. it's the difference between sinking and swimming is really yeah. really figuring out you can't just be a consultant or i can help you with this it's for 199 dollars i can deliver x to you which will help you accomplish x that's what actually sells yeah, and the more specific, the better. It's not, I am a business consultant, I am right, a life coach. Right. I mean, being a life coach is probably the worst idea. <laughs> I hear that all the time, you know? It's like, but every life coach probably has something helpful they can actually teach people with. It's there like, you go. I could teach you to read your P&L. I don't need a life coach. If you can teach me to read my profit and loss statement. Yes. <laughs> you're high. Right. For a hundred bucks, I'll teach you to read your Quit profit smoking. and loss. Yeah, people there you go. Like, there's so many things you could show people, but not like just, I'm going to change everything about your life. That's too generic. Gosh, that's beautiful. Chris, you're an endless fount of both inspiration and wisdom. The book is called The Money Tree, but are there other resources that we can find that you've got out, out there? Oh, yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, the book's The Money Tree. You can go to moneytreebook.com. We're starting this thing called a book registry uh, where people who are in financial need can register to actually receive a free copy of the book awesome. if they meet a couple of qualifications. And then we're recruiting donors, uh, book donors. So if anybody out there is in a situation where you could spend even just 20 bucks you know, to buy a copy of this book for somebody else, you can do that. Really using cool. Using this blockchain technology to connect those people. Uh, so that's moneytreebook.com or my main my main blog is chrisgillibo.com. Well, Chris, I've been following your stuff for a very long time. I'm a huge fan. I'm honored to be a friend. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. The honor is mine. JJ, you thinking about getting a side hustle? You thinking about putting a money tree in the backyard? Um, am I allowed to say <laughs> to your face that I am? <laughs> no. You have, you're the king of side know. hustles. They're just not lucrative. Yeah. Like, I, like building... Just... Like building Terraniums. What are no. they? Terrariums? Tera Terraniums. Terraniums. No, I do have a side hustle this <laughs> year. It's goat hustle? cheese. I'm making goat cheese. You're making goat cheese. Yeah, I'm learning how to make goat cheese. Yeah. I've already Huge class. money in that. Well, I don't know about that. Huge. But um, it, maybe it'll make me some friends. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's it is. But yeah, that's my it's side a constant, hustle this constant. It's a constant uh, pressure for me as the CEO of this company because we, we employ a ton of really creative, fun, entrepreneurial people. And then what yeah. we do is educate other people on how to make more money. Yes. It, you can see my problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like looking over there. Oh, interesting. Well, I was I saying, yeah, but it. their life is so hard. You know, you got paper cuts. You can uh -huh. get poked in the eye mm -hmm. with a paper clip. Mm -hmm. I don't, don't ever leave. Get goat milk in your eye. <laughs> goat milk in your eye. That's exactly it. Chris, what a wonderful conversation. Always love talking to you. The book is called The Money Tree, and you can get it on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Make a plan to read it today. If you got a little time, turn off the TV and explore the life of Jake and how Jake made more money and found a third way. So the book is called The Money Tree. Get it anywhere you buy books. All right, music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs>